Hello, good evening, everyone. It is wonderful to be back with each of you tonight. Happy Tuesday. Uh, I want to welcome everyone, our first time guests, especially if you're on with us tonight. Welcome. Thank you for being here. Uh, we would like to invite you uh, to visit us at newarcupc.info, where you can learn more about us, uh, things like how to join a small group, how to partner with us in giving, and where you can submit your prayer requests. And also, we'd love to celebrate with you and your praise reports. So visit us at newarcupc.info for more information about us and what we're doing. I have one quick announcement tonight. Everybody, perk up your ears. Get ready for it. Tonight, uh, we, uh, I'm sorry, not tonight. I have an announcement tonight, though. We are uh, announcing that this year, as we approach our holiday season of Easter, Easter this year is April, Sunday, April 4th. Sunday, April 4th. It's coming up. And we're going to be celebrating communion. We did this in similar form last year. And so we're celebrating communion together across the airwaves. And we want to uh, prepare everybody and ask that um, you be prepared on April 4th to take communion, get something to use for the body and something to use for the blood. And that way we can all take communion together as we did last year. Um, and it should be a very special time. So this week, we are here on Tuesday night and Brother Moss on Sunday began our week's theme in a very uh, poignant and powerful way, uh, which is what's in your hand is our theme this week. And we're celebrating our one year anniversary of our digital campus. Yay! God has certainly been faithful to us in this season um, and it's been different. It's been new in a lot of ways, but he's been faithful. And so uh, this week we're reflecting on that and we're focusing our lessons on uh, God's faithfulness in this past year uh, of the pandemic. So for tonight, I'm going to begin in 2 Kings chapter 7, and I'd like to throw out a thank you and a yay uh, for Dahlia helping me tonight uh, in my research and planning for this lesson. And so her contribution is kind of sprinkled throughout the lesson tonight. So I will be in 2 Kings chapter 7, but before I go there, I want to just give a little context of what we're coming into in chapter 7 of 2 Kings. At the end of chapter 6, Samaria, oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you for thanking Sister Dahlia, that's perfect. Uh, at the end of chapter 6, we have Samaria, the region of Samaria, under siege by the armies of the king of Syria. This is Israel's enemy. And so Samaria's food supply, this is the specifics of the context of the story we're going into in chapter seven. So Samaria's food supply has 
run out. The city has been uh, so long under siege that the food was scarce and had become very expensive. Um, it says in the scriptures, a donkey's head was selling for 80 shekels of silver. And that means a lot because I don't have the exact one-to-one, -one. but it's a lot, 80 shekels. I don't know, 80 is a high number. So it sounds like a lot probably didn't sell for 80 shekels normally. And so the people of Samaria, God's people, had no access or ability to food or provisions. They were starving and it was bad. It was so bad that the people had resorted to extremes like cannibalism. And it captures a kind of grotesque story at the end of chapter six though. And I know we have young ears on our broadcast and so you'll just have to go read that, but cannibalism's involved. Yeah. So. The king of Israel has sent a messenger to find Elisha. He's just distraught at his wit's end. Um, Elisha is the prophet of the Lord in this story. And the king blames the Lord for all that's going on. And he wanted to kill and behead Elisha because of his anger at what the Lord was allowing. And so Elisha knew that the king was coming for him. And he gave a prophecy to the messenger who was sent to kill him. So we find ourselves in chapter 7. Let's just walk through this chapter together, do a little verse-by-verse verse, uh, look at the story here in um, chapter 7 of Second Kings. So Elisha the prophet, in the first couple of verses here, has prophesied that on tomorrow, on this time tomorrow, there would be an abundance of food. So we're going from like zero zilch to an abundance in like a 24 hour time frame. Seems pretty impossible. And so the king's assistant heard Elisha's prophecy, which seemed to be highly impossible. And he remarked that if God were to make windows in heaven, it still wouldn't be possible. And so Elisha's response to him, to the messenger, was you will see this happen, but you will be unable to partake of it. So we land in verses three and four. Let's look at those together. They should be on the screen for you. And it says, um, I have to get my Bible here using the real thing. Uh, it says, no, every word is the real thing. All word is, even the word on your screen. Now there were four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance of the city gates. Why should we sit here? waiting to die, they asked each other. We will starve if we stay here, but with the famine in the city, we'll starve if we go back. So we might as well go out and surrender to the Syrian army or the Aramean army. If they let us live, so much the better. But if they kill us, we would have died anyway. So in these two verses, we have a group of outcasts, four lepers, and they visit the enemy camp. So during this time, lepers had to be separated from society according to the law because leprosy was an incurable and contagious disease. And the closest the lepers could get to inside the city was to be outside of the city gates. They had to communicate through the gatekeeper. And they're discussing their situation. And there's some good logic here. They concluded two things about this widespread famine, which left them with a decision to make. Either the famine in the land would cause them to surely die, or they could leave their city 
take a chance that the enemy camp would let them live. And so it was either sure death or maybe death. So what did they decide? Let's pick up in verses five through seven. So at twilight, they set out for the camp of the Arameans or the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Syrian army to hear the clatter of speeding chariots and the galloping of horses and the sounds of a great army approaching. The king of Israel has hired the Hittites and Egyptians to attack us, they cried to one another. So they panicked and ran into the night, abandoning their tents, horses, donkeys, and everything else as they fled for their lives. And we read here that the lepers decide to take a chance on living. Excuse me. They decide to leave their city. They left the famine there and they went to the enemy camp. And then something unexpected happened. And it proved that the Lord was with them and had gone before them to provide for them. When they came upon the camp of their enemies, the scriptures tell us it was empty. The soldiers had fled because the Lord had caused them to hear threatening sounds, sounds that weren't really there, horses, sounds of a great army approaching. And they believed that the king of Israel had ordered his enemies to attack. I'm sorry, his armies to attack. And they ran into the night to save their lives, left behind their provisions, and they abandoned their camp and all that was in it. Let's continue in verses 8 through 11, and that's where we're going to kind of camp out uh, tonight. When the men with leprosy arrived at the edge of the camp, they went into one tent after another, eating and drinking wine. Could you imagine? They had just come from a place of starvation and famine. They probably hadn't seen food or drink in a while. And they carried off silver and gold and clothing and hid it. So not only food and wine, but uh, precious things like gold and silver, clothing. And finally, they said to each other, this isn't right. This is a day of good news. And we aren't sharing it with anyone. If we wait until the morning, some calamity will certainly fall upon us. Come on, let's go back and tell the people at the palace. So they went back to the city, told the gatekeepers what had happened. And we went out to the Syrian camp, they said, and no one was there. The horses, the donkeys were tethered and the tents were all in order, but there was, wasn't a single person around. Then the gatekeepers shouted the news to the people in the palace. And I'm going to stop there for tonight uh, for reading scriptures. But the end of that story continues um, a few more verses. And so in verses 8 through 11, the lepers, they reveled in the loot that they had just stumbled upon. You know, I, I, just, I, I, I just imagine what they must have thought and felt finding all of the endless amounts of food, the buffet before them, uh, the jackpot with these precious items like silver and gold and 
you know, with absolutely no reason to worry about anything because the enemy was nowhere in sight. They didn't have to worry if I run to that tent or that tent to someone popping out. No, it was abandoned and it was theirs. And so they began to gather up everything the scriptures say, and they began to start hiding things because that's the mentality of, ah, you know, we haven't seen this in a while. We don't want it to disappear again. But then they, they realize they're wrong in doing that. The scriptures tell us they decided they need to share it with everyone else that they knew was back home in their city, starving and, and dying. And so they wanted to carry back the good news to their people. And that's exactly what they did. They stopped at the gatekeeper of the city and told him what had happened. And the gatekeeper spread the news to all the people. And so in the following verses, through the end of the story, and it rounds out chapter seven, Israel the, bombards the camp. And although it's not necessarily my main focus tonight at the end here, it proves the prophet Elisha's prophecy was fulfilled through these outcasts, these lepers, and that his prophecy was indeed from the Lord. The king of Israel had doubted and, and thought that it was a trick of his enemies' armies, that they were hiding and they were waiting for their army to invade the camp. But when they sent men to scout it out, the word from their lepers was true. They said, no, what the lepers said was true. It's abandoned and we can go in and gain and accrue all of the spoils. And so Samaria that day benefited from it. And everything the prophet Elijah had said came to pass. Even the warning to the messenger that the chapter begins with in verses 1 and 2, the messenger who had doubted Elisha's prophecy, it was true. The scripture said that the messenger uh, in, in the last couple verses of chapter 7 saw the spoils of the abandoned camp, but was trampled to death by the rush of the Sumerian people into the enemy camp. And so he did not, in fact, see the spoils and he was not able, to, or he did see it, but he was not able to participate in it, just as Elisha had told him. Delia had helped me with our lesson tonight and she had a few points of observations and conclusions that she drew from the story. One of them is that the lepers were willing to do something to act in spite of their physical condition and limitations. They were the outcasts of their society. They were the ones who were sick. Their bodies were compromised, but they refused to dwell in self-pity and made a wise decision to exercise their faith. James chapter 2 verse 18 says this about faith. Now, some may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. And the lepers were used by God to bring an end to the famine. Secondly, the king's assistant who doubted the word of God he did not benefit from the deliverance because he uh, died 
And so the conclusion here is not that all who doubt will die, but like the messenger in this story, um, it does cause us to consider that we serve a God who can do the impossible. And I know a lot of people listening tonight already have witnessed that in some form or fashion throughout your walk with God, whether it's through a story or a personal um, experience with God. We serve a God that can do the impossible. What we think is impossible is possible with God. Amen. So no situation is unexpected by God. Point number three, God typically chooses to use people that we wouldn't necessarily choose to fulfill his will. And he works in circumstances that we as humans often deem impossible. In this story, to bring deliverance to the city of Samaria, the outcasts, the lepers, were the ones that God used to fulfill his prophecy spoken by Elisha. And I'm sure they were certainly the last group of people that anyone would assume God would use. But as Dahlia pointed out, they were the willing vessels and God had a plan for them. 1 Corinthians 1 verses 27 through 29 says, Instead, God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. So with this story in mind, let's turn to how it relates to our theme this week. What's in your hand? And what God did with what was in the hands, so to speak, of Newark United Pentecostal Church a year ago, when the pandemic shut down the United States and shut in its people, all of us. Our story in 2 Kings is about being faced with a hard decision. Either way, the lepers' options that we read in verses 3 and 4, they were dire. They were risky. There really was no ideal option. But their logic, you know, their logic, we might as well, their logic was, we might as well try something that might have a better ending than death. And that option seemed kind of crazy. Go run into the enemy's camp. And they took that risk. And that's exactly what they did. They walked into the territory, enemy territory, and God blessed it. And, you know, one year ago, Newark was faced with a hard decision. We had to make one quickly. Your pastoral team had to make a decision quickly. And we didn't know for how long this decision would last. But what we did know was that we could not, we weren't allowed to continue to operate the same as we always had or how we had planned. And so that was clearly not an option. No one could congregate initially. And so how do we move forward and how do we gather in a new way? 
And from this is how our digital campus was formed. We were faced with a decision and we made one with the information that we had, what we could do at the time and with what resources we had. In the story of the lepers, the famine had reached these kind of, these unimaginable levels, cannibalism and those types of things people were participating in. And it lasted for long, a long enough time that an entire city ran out of food and resources and people were starving to death. But God needed his word to still go forth. When our world changed a year ago and the pastoral team was making decisions, we didn't know much. We were working with question marks. We were working blind in our own humanity. God sees everything. But the one thing we, we did know was that we would not allow Newark to starve spiritually. Without being able to gather in person, we had to find a way to feed the church and continue doing that. But everything else, it was an unknown at that moment. Um, again, it was, it, it was just clear. We, we can't keep doing what we've always done. But we knew we had to do something. And we were going to take action, just like the leper's decision to go in order for them to live. Dahlia said this, whatever state we find ourselves in, if we're willing, God can use us to do great things. God used what we had, internet, devices that could record and stream. And he used willing speakers, helpers, social media teams, video editors. I mean, I could just go on, but let me tell you this. This was a group effort, way beyond the pastoral team, way larger than the pastoral team. I just want to take a minute and represent the pastoral team in saying thank you to everyone, you know, who, who's been a part of this past year and this effort to minister to our listeners um, and our, and our uh, members. And as Sister Dahlia had pointed out, it, it, there were great opportunities. You know, I was talking to her this week and these are some of the things we were talking about. These opportunities that this season has opened for our church and our people. And so many have been willing to serve in new ways and maybe in ways you never thought you'd find yourself. Um, I know that outside of this digital campus, the church is caring and ministering to one another during this whole past year. And we believe that's the way it should be. So thank you, church. We just want to acknowledge that. God has been good. We thank God for his provision. Um, albeit it's been different. God has fed us well through this season. Amen. We feast on the word six nights a week. I don't think I've ever eaten that well. It, I, probably, right? We've, ne we've never eaten that well. Um, people talk about gaining the COVID-15. I think I've gained it spiritually. You know, loosening the belt loop a, a time or two over this past year. But, uh, um, you know, at the time, this was our short-term solution. 
get this digital campus going, get some messages out, encourage the people, keep us connected, keep us. This was, but we had no idea this commitment would turn into a year, but here we are. And I hope you'd agree with us that God has blessed and in the least we're being fed. You know, I, I, it's, it's, a, it's obvious, you know, this is a no brainer that we miss being in person, truly, truly do. Um, and there's a host of things related to that, that we miss being in person about our services. But I thank God that he's blessed us and he's used uh, what we've had to offer. And I think we can all, you know, thank God for the goodness and how good he's been and what he's blessed and that he's blessed what we've done with what we've had. Amen. That's our, that's our theme this week. God has blessed with blessed us uh, with what we had. And so let's continue to give God what's in our hands as we move forward. If you would, let's just raise a, a prayer of thankfulness, of gratitude to God tonight. I feel the smile's not, it's not for the camera. It's definitely not because I, I think it looks nice. This smile is here because honestly, you can't help but look on this last year. It's been hard, but God has been so good. And so can we just thank him for that tonight? Jesus, we're just so thankful for your provision in unexpected ways. We were blindsided this past year. This was who would have imagined a year that looked like this in our lifetime? But you knew, you saw, and you worked through any and all seasons. And I thank you, Lord, for that. Nothing stops your spirit. Nothing gets in your way. Nothing thwarts your plan. God, thank you for being with us in, by your spirit. Your spirit can be anywhere. Your spirit can go through anything. And we thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for the people, our church members, ministering to one another, caring for one another, finding a way to do these things in new ways. It's hard to think about how to do it. But once you know, there's no turning back. There's a new way to do something, a new way to accomplish the same end, the same goal, and it is good. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We ask you continue to bless what we have in our hands and how we use it. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Thank you for praying with me tonight. Thank you for being here tonight. Uh, we hope to see you again tomorrow. Join us back here at 7 p.m.